Travis. First one to the end of the podcast wins. You're on. It's Schmanners. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. And you're listening to Schmanners. It's extraordinary etiquette. For ordinary occasions. Hello, my dove. Hello. How are you? I'm doing well. Are you enjoying the Olympic coverage? Oh, you know, <laughs> not as much as I should be. I've watched some. We've watched it. Uh, I, You know, we watched some of the swimming. We saw some of the running. I've mostly been watching, like, updates but I'm way more interested about the news that comes out, like Ryan Lochte and his uh, swimmer buddies breaking down a door at a gas station. Did you see this? I did. And then they told everyone that they were robbed. And then, uh, but it was on video and it was this whole thing. Uh, but I'm always more interested in the story surrounding uh, uh, the the Olympics than the actual events themselves. That's that said, I do like sports. I do like watching the Olympics. Oh my god, football's coming up. We'll be able to do a whole football episode. Yay! Well, I would say that usually we try and get out ahead of these sorts of things, but I really i I was watching some of the the actual competitions and thinking about you know what it might be like to participate in something like that. Exhausting. The answer is exhausting. Well, I mean, I haven't trained for it, so obviously <laughs> I'm not going to participate. But um, I started thinking about sportsmanship. So I thought that would be a good topic for us this week. I uh, And I just want to get out ahead and say that there are many, many words in the English language that just go ahead and cram the word man in there. And but saying sports personship is really weird, so we're gonna stick with sportsmanship whenever we reference it. But just know, like, it's for everybody. Obviously. Yeah. Yes. That's that's definitely what we mean. So the way that we think about sports prop Sports. <laughs> sports time. Welcome to Sports Talk with Travis and Teresa. These sports that we think of now were mostly developed in the 19th and 20th century. The 19th and 20th century. Oh, okay. okay, I won't All keep right. doing sports student voice. All right. Uh, but I, I will do it one more time, though. I'm going to sneak it in somewhere in the show. But most of the sports that we know of today really do have ancient roots. Yeah, so I know, like, baseball and football ain't... Well, football, there's some Mesoamerican game, but, like... Are you talking most of when you think about like track and field, wrestling? Exactly. Yes. That is what I'm talking about. So probably the first sports that were ever pay- played were things like wrestling and boxing. Um, I did wrestling. Did you know that? Yes, I did know that. Dear. I was really bad at it. I was really bad. But you tried your hardest, right? I did. I hated it so much. Okay. My dad wouldn't let me quit. I tried to quit so bad. He gave me this weird spiel about, like, if you quit, you're letting down the team. And now, at 32, I look back on that moment. I wish I could travel back in time and walk up and go, yeah, but, like, what, am, what good am I doing for the team now? I'm third string, 90 pounds. Don't worry about it, old man. Just let me quit. <laughs> anyway, um, and competitions using running are probably among the first sports that were actually played. And a lot of these sports are thought to stem from the need for a community of people to stay active in order to protect themselves. Oh, so this was like 
militia training and you know that like you did this stuff as like calisthenics to be prepared for war well probably but it was it was more like probably this is a, a thinly way veiled way of getting people to work together oh some more team building more than like conditioning right right and and you would introduce these ideas to children in order to really start that. Um, but it did depend on the, the sport that you did depended on um, really how much time you could afford to, to dedicate to it. So as, as long as humans were like kind of hunter gatherers, nomads, there really wasn't a lot of time to devote to an actual like organized sport. And now we have golf. <laughs> But once once people started really settling in communities is when sports totally took off. That makes sense. I mean, they're very communal activities, sports, and leisure-based primarily. I mean, so it wouldn't be something you would want to interrupt gathering food to play basketball. Right, right. Um, Not that they were playing basketball. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I, I totally understand what you mean. Um, and... Later on, as these communities became more and more settled, they started incorporating modes of transportation into their gameplay. So, like horse riding and canoeing, and um, and you know things like that. Um, so, speaking of the Olympics, the first recorded ancient Olympic games were in Greece, and they took place in 760 BCE. And there was only one event. What do you think it was? Wrestling. Eh, wrong. Wait. Uh, 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 logic. No. <laughs> no. Um, uh, uh, javelin. No. Okay, you're out. It's a foot race. So they raced. Oh, okay. I mean, it seems like, you know, you don't need any equipment. Um, there's really, like, no judging other than who is first. And they still right? spent the same amount of money building... <laughs> The Olympic Village and all that stuff for the one right is just over a lot faster. Probably, probably not. <laughs> I bet that it took place in like a field. Oh, okay. Yeah. Track and field. I get it. On a field, and there's a track. <gasps> it all it's all falling into place. <laughs> so later games included things like wrestling and boxing and equestrian events, the discus and the javelin, and jumping games so how long you could jump how far you could jump those sorts of things they they, you mean when you say how long you jump you mean like how far not how long you could stay in the air right it wasn't like a hover competition i guess i mean how high you could jump okay so how high how far that kind of stuff how how still yeah still (laughs) he's still out there it takes i guess some hang time you know yeah but like can you imagine if somebody jumped and just stayed at one level for a long there's that superman that would be that's Oh my god! Now I'm thinking about it. That would that be cheating? Is it cheating to compete? A little quick diversion. Do you think it's cheating in sports if you have superpowers? Discuss. Yes. Oh, okay. Okay, so go on. <laughs> but these are all like the organized sports I talked about, right? Gotcha. And uh, but as far as like individual communities like playing sports, they you know the the cape paintings in France. We've talked about before depict like sprinting and wrestling, and um, there are some paintings in Mongolia that date back to 7000 BCE, and they show a, re- a wrestling match surrounded by crowds. So there's like a uh, an observer 
element to it. Um, and, you know, things like swimming and archery and even sumo wrestling have been depicted in different cave paintings around the world. What is your favorite uh, current Olympic event? Hmm. Summer or winter? I'm going to have to say swimming. I have a soft place in my in my memories for swimming. I was on a swim team for a very long time and uh, a career lifeguard and swim instructor. So that's probably the one that I like the most. I'm going to say uh, a couple of figure skating. Huh. Um, you know, it's just cool, you guys. It's just cool. So that's kind of a, a brief history of sports in general. And I'd like to get into sportsmanlike conduct now. Yes, please. That's why we're here. <laughs> So as always, the lovely uh, Emily Post in- Institute has some uh, very good suggestions on how to behave at a sporting event, whether you're a player, a coach, or a parent. I think that's an excellent point, because I, I think that when people think about sportsmanship, they oftentimes think about people competing in the event, and they forget about stuff like when you're attending like the fans in the sportsmanship competition. And I think sportsmanship is all encompassing. So what does Emily Post have to say? Well, Emily Post said in 1945, she wrote, the quality which perhaps more than any other distinguishes true sportsmanship is absence of temper, not temper brought along and held in check, but temper securely locked and left at home. That is an excellent point, because I think the times when I have been most uncomfortable around, quote unquote, fans is when they seem to apply stakes and reactions to it that I don't feel are warranted. It's one thing, you know, when when your team loses to be a little bit upset and like be caught up in the adrenaline of it all. Mm -hmm. But I've seen people get angry. Right about it not just like oh i can't oh that's so frustrated but like throwing stuff and i think that this i i know that you've put it to kind of the fans but this also applies to players of the game that's true i've seen those players too throw helmets and slam stuff down and it i will say some of my favorite moments i i can very clearly remember last uh football season antonio brown who is a wide receiver for the pittsburgh steelers had a moment where their uh, quarterback, not Ben Roethlisberger, replacement quarterback, just wasn't throwing to him. And every time they cut to Antonio Brown on the sidelines, he was kind of like waving his hands in the air as if to indicate, like, what's going on? <laughs> and it made me laugh every time. Um, but yeah, like, I've seen players in all sports. Sometimes, like, it's a basketball player that starts a fight with someone in those stands. It's somebody who throws their bat in a baseball game. It's a football player who, like, knocks over the Gatorade jug. Like, there's people who have overreacted in all things. Well, and I think that the, the most important thing to remember when you're a player is that your job is to do your best. And although it can be frustrating if, in competition, your best is not quite good enough... Um, but it's, it's all about playing the game. And when you distract yourself with all of the, you know, you said like knocking over the Gatorade jug or like 
throwing your bat around or things like that, that really keeps you from playing your best. Do you think that the level of frustration someone is allowed to experience and anger that scales up as you get into more professional ranks? Like if you're playing a weekend softball game with your friends versus like a major league baseball game? Scales up in the way of you're allowed to be more frustrated yeah. because the stakes are higher? Yes. I don't know. I I would say no. Because you are always expected to play your best and you wouldn't want to throw the game at a major league game and you wouldn't want to throw it at a at a community softball game. So as long as you're doing the best that you can do, um, I think that you're entitled to a little bit of frustration as long as you don't take it out on the other players and the fans and everything like I that. I agree with you, though, but I will say that I think that the other, I guess the other direction to answer that question from is I've seen people play those softball weekend games like they were in Game 7 of the World Series, and that's the stakes that they're playing at, where it's just like, hey, like, the game's going to be done and then we're going to go get pizza. Like, it's cool. Don't worry about it. I I think that at a certain level, it's understandable that the stakes are higher given what the stakes are. Mm-hmm. But you should always behave appropriately to what the stakes are and not above that. Sure. Yeah. I can agree with that. I can get behind that. Um, so part of sportsmanship and most of these ga- uh, sports that we're going to talk about uh, or that people participate in are team sports. Um, and you should always be a team player because no one can win a baseball game all by themselves. Now, being a team player, that's a very big concept. Like, how how do you mean? Specifically, how does one be a team player? Um, so, like, if you don't, you, you don't try and be a star by hogging the ball. Um, say, if you are playing soccer or, you know, what, what not, or football. 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 Um... It's it's important that you pass the ball to your teammates. You can't be a one t- a one player soccer team. It just doesn't work that way. Think um, of it like improv. You should be making your partner look good, right? And so then everybody does better. What I'm really thinking about is like selfish gameplay. Um, you need to use the drills that you've learned in practice. Use the camaraderie that you've developed with your team in order to make it an enjoyable and profitable experience for everyone. Yeah, and I, and I also think that that goes back to what we were talking about. It's like having fun. If it's your job, like, you know, listen, I, I want professional baseball players to take it a little more seriously than, like, a drunk softball league. But, like, some of my favorite times watching professional baseball is when it feels like they're having fun. That's one of the things that in college, uh, Trevor was really super into the, I mean, he still is, but like I was present for it into the Red Sox and the year that they won the world series, they were also like a super fun to watch team because mm-hmm. they seemed like buddies who were having fun together. And there was something about that that was like reminiscent of like playing a game with your friends that I think not only made you cheer for them, but also felt good when they won, because it felt like they were happy to be playing and happy to win and would have been happy no matter what. Yeah, so a a good sporting experience includes the fans as well. 
Um, and when you feel like the team is doing a good job at being uh, a good sportsman and having a good time and playing the game well, that's when the fans really identify with that and they enjoy it as well. So speaking of fans, what's some general advice for fans to practice good sportsmanship? Um, well, there's there's definitely some... I would think that just normal being in a group etiquette one should employ where like if you need to cross a crowded group and you might say, excuse me, instead of just pushing your way through, um, cheering your heart out when your team is winning, but not like taunting or being obnoxious about it. Um, Watching your language, I think, is important because these kind of sporting events are for everyone normally. I mean, I suppose if you were in like a, if you were watching a poker tournament, those sorts of things, first of all, you don't, you don't really cheer no, very much. No, I was going to say, I don't know that people show up with pennants and face paint at right. a poker day. Though, but, now that I've said that, I really <laughs> want that to happen. But it is generally an adult crowd. Yes. Are there, there Okay, if the owners or designers of professional stadiums are listening, there should be like a 21 and up section in your stadium where it's just like, hey, if you're going to get rip-roaring drunk and want to yell really loud obscenities, come to the 21 and older section and go to town and like, that's where we're going to put you. I haven't been to many sporting events, so I would say that there may be something like that. You never know. I will say, I think one of the things that most frustrates me when I go to a sporting event, a bad behavior thing from mm -hmm. fans, is when it's one thing to be like, I'm rooting for this team, and you're clearly rooting for the other team. Oh, we're on opposite sides. And it's another to be like, I hate you. Like, I've seen some vehemence and anger and hatred towards someone wearing a jersey of the other team as though those two people were competing you know that exactly that, that's, that's not fun so for anybody to me and especially when it's like someone like with their kids or like we're just happen to be in the same like for example our friends justin and maggie big like cardinals fans and so they would like go to reds games wearing their cardinals when the reds were playing the cardinals and like people would give them like nasty looks and everything it's like hey this isn't about you. Like, we're not trying to start a fight with you. Mm. Yeah. That kind of fandom is unhealthy. You can support your team without demoralizing the other fans. Very true. Um, and oftentimes people stand at really, uh, you know, heightened emotion type of parts of the game. Um, so if people are standing, you should feel free to stand as well. Get kind of swept up in the emotion. Um, but, you know, when people forget and they stay standing up and maybe that kind of moment is over, um, if you ask them nicely, they'll probably sit down. But yelling at someone for that isn't, isn't really nice. Also, don't, do that. don't start the wave. It just oh. makes a bunch of people stand up. <laughs> we talked about that a little bit in the baseball one, and some people really enjoy the wave. Listen, if you want to do the wave, that's fine. I, I just I don't want to do the wave. I don't like standing up. Um, I do think that although a 21 and up area is probably a good idea, I think that at 
sports games, you should watch your alcohol intake. because yeah. Also, because it's like $15 per drink. Well, yes. But it also, alcohol tends to fuel the passions. And so... <laughs> Wait, hold on. Slow down, Pliny. It does what now? <laughs> it fuels your it, passions. It boils the humors. It will cause an imbalance betwixt your bile and your phlegm. In any case, it lowers your inhibitions. And so you are more likely to act a fool in when you are drunk. Not only that, it's also not super safe, especially if like, you're in an uncovered arena in the sun and you're drinking. It can be very unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Um, you should respect the officials. And that's not to say that the officials are infallible. Plays get overturned, or what do they call it? Like Re- Reversed. Reversed. Sure. All the Definitely time. on the sport. All the time. So there's, but there needs to be a good balance between you respecting the officials and then. um, Frustrated versus anger. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Again, we're going back to that. We're going back to that. It's okay to be frustrated, but you don't want to be angry about it. Yes. Because at the end of the day, it's just a game. And even if it's the most high stakes, like if they lose this one, it's over kind of game like they'll play again next season and it'll all start over and you know also here's the thing to think about umpires and officials and referees like it all balances out over the course of like a season especially in baseball when there's 160 some games is that over statistically the bad calls get spread out enough that i don't think any one team benefits significantly more than any other Mm-hmm. So like everyone's trying to do their best, and they're not robots and machines. Sometimes they mi- sometimes they blow the call, but I guarantee they're doing better than you would be. Yeah. So like keep that in mind. Everybody's trying their best. So then after the game, as a fan, uh, you should probably avoid any kind of altercations with maybe upset fans. Say that your team won and theirs lost. Avoid the noise in all <laughs> things. Uh. You know, and you can usually spot that in a person's demeanor. You can tell whether or not they are more upset than you. Um, and just don't don't pick fights about it. It's it's really it's not becoming as a fan, and it doesn't reflect well on your team if you gloat or if you pick a fight like that. And the other way around, if someone's trying to pick a fight with you, words are only words, and them saying stuff about what a jersey you're wearing or your team or even personal insults, like starting a fight with them could like cause serious injury, arrest, serious trouble for you. Right. Them hurling insults and words at you doesn't hurt you at all. Walk away. Um, and... But it's okay if you want to congratulate players and coaches for a good game. If if you are on the winning team, it's probably easier to congratulate people for a good game. But it also means a lot, if you're a fan of the opposing team, to really appreciate the athleticism that went into it and tell the players and coaches they did a great job. This is a question from Liam, and we're going to get to the rest of the questions here in a second, but I think this is very apropos to this moment. Uh, Liam asks, should I still say good game, even if it wasn't particularly cr- close, like winning 30 to nothing? I think that you can still find something in the other team's performance to make that a genuine compliment. If nothing else, you're saying like, I good game. It was better than nothing. You know what I mean? Like, well, yeah, you thanks can for always, playing with thanks us. Thanks for it playing. Well. Thanks for coming. 
all that kind of stuff. Um, I know that there are some rituals. When I would watch you guys play softball, um, at the end of the game, you would line up and shake hands yeah. and say good game to everyone. And I think that's a really great practice to get into. And it doesn't have to be so ritualized like that. Um, but you can usually find one or two instances to genuinely congratulate the other team on. Uh, we've got a whole bunch of other questions from you that we'll talk about in just a second. But first, here's a word from some other Max Fun shows. Going into a bullseye interview, I know that it's somebody who does amazing work. I don't know what's going to happen. Oh, that's interesting. I never thought about that. Is that possible? Is that's that true? possible. Yeah. Should I check with your therapist? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I will be. <laughs> who are you, dude? You all over the place. I got a lot of respect for you, man. That's that's dope. Bullseye. Creators you know. Creators you need to know. Find it at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get podcasts. I'm Hal Lublin. I'm Danielle Radford. I am Michael Eagle. And we are the hosts of Tights and Fights, Maximum Fun's newest podcast dedicated to all things wrestling. We'll be talking about Sasha Banks, the women's revolution, Sasha Banks, the brand split, and Sasha Banks' wigs. And we'll also be talking about wrestler fashion. Some wrestlers wear too many clothes. Some wrestlers don't wear enough clothes at all. And I'll be doing impressions of all your favorite wrestlers. New episodes Thursdays on Maximum Fun or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, yeah, dig it. Tights and Fights Podcast. Tights and Fights. Okay, so we had some really great questions from everybody. Um, I... So this is more of a question about like a party game versus like organized sport. Okay. Uh, but I think it's one that a lot of people will uh, relate to. Piney asked on Twitter, is it rude to not participate in a party game you don't enjoy? Saying, I'd prefer to just watch this round or similar. I don't think that it's rude. Um, not everybody enjoys every type of game. Um, personally, I don't enjoy games that involve deceit. Um, You're too good for this world, Teresa Murray. And I'm also not good at lying. Well, also that. You're also a <laughs> terrible liar. But well, that balances out because I'm a very good liar. I take care of the lying. You take care of like interpersonal relationships. It's great. So when it's a game that in, that is about like strategy or numbers or spelling or something like that, I'm, I'm perfectly fine playing. But I prefer not to play games like... Um, Werewolf or or Mafia or things like that where you have to lie. Um, and so I think that it's perfectly acceptable to decline playing a game that you are not genuinely interested in, but that I don't think that it's okay to, like, leave the room while yeah, it happens. I think that or, the way you asked this is a perfect example, Piney, where you said, I'd prefer to just watch this round. Yeah, that's a perfect yeah, thing to do. I'm still going to be in the room and laugh along with all the crazy things that happen, but I'm not going to, like, tune out and play on my phone and, like, I'm going to be in the moment. I just don't want to play. Perfectly right. Fine. You can you can be a spectator and still feel to the rest of the people that you are participating in the evening. You know, we just played a game of the Game of Thrones board game. And uh, the guy who was hosting, his roommate, like, handled running cards for us and, like, flipping stuff over and, like, kind of ran as moderator for the game. Oh, cool. And, yeah, and it was like... It really helped to have someone there to like handle that aspect of it, and he got to participate and have a great time. That's really nice. Um, 
This question is from Melissa. I've got a little sister who loves to win, who loves to win and tends to get very angry when she loses. What can I say to help her get less mad? Um, I think that it's important that you stress to your sister that she's not always going to lose. She may lose this time, and it's an it's a good idea to remind her that the more that you play, the more times she'll win. So it, it'll keep her from wanting to shut down from playing. But this is a lesson that everybody has to learn. You're not going to win every time. I actually used to be this way. I used to hate losing board games. I used to hate... I would get so frustrated. Were you I'm, a board flipper? I... Never flipped a board. Okay, but that's I, good. I may have thrown a little sand hourglass uh, timer or two in my time um, when I was much younger. And then I realized that I learned more from losing games about how to be better at them than I did from winning games. And so maybe that's it. Maybe after, if, if your sister loses, maybe without like coming across as like high and mighty... Talk about, like, the strategy you used and, like, what she was doing and, like, talk through the game. And, like, so, yeah, I I really loved how you did this. I would like like, to suggest that maybe after a game that she's lost is not a good time for that. Because she may not be so receptive, but maybe a practice game. Yeah, or maybe before the next one. And be like, so this time, what? but, yeah, anything where you can, like, and don't make it, like, I'm teaching you a lesson. Open up. You can start with like, ah, I can't believe I did such and such, but I love how you did blank on that turn. I really thought that was going to get it, but then I got lucky. Whatever you want to do, but like, you can still congratulate her on a loss. A, a well played loss is still great. Yes. Um, also, a lot of games that are geared towards younger children are games of chance involving dice and cards and things that you have to flip over in turn. So maybe try games that are games of skill that uh, that might be a little feel a little more like she's actually in charge of the fate of the game. Um, things like chess and checkers and, and things like that so that she can actually feel like it's it's not out of her hands. Yeah, and you know, if she loses the game and starts to get mad, let her pick the next game. That's a good idea. That's a good compromise, too. Um, The other side of this, for Rachel Rosing, if I win at something, Scrabble is my sport of choice, by too wide of a margin, I feel guilty and sheepish. But I also hate to deliberately go easy, as that feels condescending. How do I gracefully and guiltlessly win? Um, I think that the only way that you are going to gracefully and guiltlessly win is by playing people of your own skill level and maybe suggesting a different game that you all could play at an even level um, so that there's there's no hurt feelings either way because it can feel very strange to be in a room full of your friends that you've just put the smack down on and, and won a game by 200 points. Um, so you really do need to try and choose your game wisely. I also think depending on the game that you're playing, there's a there is a middle ground between like winning by super wide margin and quote going easy. So like for example, the Game of Thrones board game that I mentioned before is a like a big learning curve on that one. Whenever I play with someone who's never played before, I don't let them win, but I choose maybe a strategy that has to deal more with me playing well 
rather than someone else playing badly. Like, I will work more on expansion rather than conquering, that kind of thing. So, like, don't go easy, but maybe don't be as aggressive as normal, if that's a better way of thinking about it. So that way it doesn't feel condescending. Think of it as, like, a personal challenge of, like, how would I win this in this circumstance? But also, you're right, because, like, you shouldn't have as much fun going easy or winning by a wide margin because then it's not really the spirit of the game right like the if there's no competition then what's the fun in competition i really do think that all parties are going to have more fun um if you are all at a at a similar skill level for a game so this is from Faye, but it's actually from max what if i'm sad when i lose max it is okay to be sad when you lose. It's just fine. Those are the sort sort of feelings that, you know, they come from either in a game of chance, maybe it wasn't your lucky day, or maybe you just need to practice more when you, when you go at a game that you enjoy. Um, the difference is you can be sad for yourself and still be happy for the time that you spent together, for your friends winning, for learning a new skill, all those other things. So even though you're sad that you lost and that's okay, it's important to find another emotion that you can share with everyone. Yeah, I I, I think that that was really well put. And, you know, it's okay to be sad for yourself. And happy for someone else. That's It's a hard lesson to learn. I think that that is a very adult feeling to be able to accomplish. And, you know, for some people it's easier than others. And don't be hard on yourself. You'll get there. Okay, so before we get to more questions, you had a little bit about, like, parents and coaches. Sure. So it's important to remember as a parent of someone, of an athlete, that... Um, you are the number one example that the child has, even if you're not involved directly in their sport. Um, you want to make sure that you stay positive for them, keep things encouraging. Um, that doesn't say that you can't, you know, be critical of a performance, um, but it should be constructive criticism. Um, both teams, both the winners and the losers of the competition should follow the rules and be good sports about it. So if, if you as a parent, like storm the field after a call that you felt was, uh, was incorrect by the ref, you're not putting out a good example uh, of good sportsmanship. So though, okay, I will jump in though and say that on some level, I do understand because you got to balance that feeling of wanting to be a good example, but also feeling very protective of your kid. And so I think that there, there is very possibly a situation in which parenthood overtaking sportsmanship, I could definitely see that happening. Mm -hmm. But I think that that is an extreme circumstance in which like a kid getting pegged by the other team is maybe like more focusing on parenthood. But even then you can be concerned and still be a good sport. Exactly. Um, and then for coaches, coaches, it's important to remember that your example as a coach of how you treat the play other players, how you treat the other coaches, and how you treat the fans and, and everybody else, you are being the example to your players on how they should treat their opponents and how they should treat the other coaches. Um, so... 
And these are skills that hopefully they'll take with them throughout the rest of their either their life in sports or in other player other parts of their lives. Um, so when you are the best that you can be, you are able to demand that type of excellence from your players as well. And so, not just excellence in how they play, but how they behave. Exactly. You know, that's the thing. Whenever you see that story of like the coach who you know, benched his best player because that best player was a jerk to the other team. Like, that kind of stuff. We're like, yep, okay, great. Like, I don't care how good you play. I want to know how well you play. And, like, that's that's the challenge that I think all coaches should have for their players. Mm-hmm. And don't be a jerk. Man, I had so many coaches that were <laughs> jerks. I had very positive uh, experiences on swim teams. So. Oh, my, re- my wrestling coach. Oh, I <laughs> did not care for him. Um, I, I have a question here from Jeremy. Um, and that I think uh, has a little bit of something to do with this. How can I point out a flaw in an opponent's game after winning if I'm genu- genuinely trying to help without sounding like a sore winner? Um, I really think that it's not your place to point it out. Um, errors can happen, and most people understand what they have done wrong when they when they lose a game. Um, you know, either the hitting game wasn't very good, or their passing game wasn't very good, or you know, they just didn't have the kind of cooperation they needed for the day. Um, it's it's admirable that you want to help, but after losing, I don't think that the other players are going to be very receptive to your health help. That's something that, that a coach is really responsible for at the next practice and not you. The only circumstance under which I can see this being okay is if it's A, someone you know, and B, they have asked for your help. So okay. like if somebody says like, yeah, I just feel like I'm not getting it. Let me know if there's something I can do better like that. But I think to volunteer the information, especially right after the game, is always going to feel like, okay, great, thanks. Like, cool. I know. I know I lost. Thank you very much. Like, I don't know that there's a good way to do it. This goes back to uh, intention versus perception. And you intend to be helpful and be nice and not, you know, be a, a gloating winner. But that's not probably how they're going to perceive it. Um, and so you could be doing nothing wrong by su- by these suggestions, but in order for them to receive it properly, I really do think that, like you said, Travis, they need to either be friends with you or they need to have asked for your assistance. Yeah, after a loss, even like if it, especially if it's a close loss in some circumstances, everybody's going to feel a little bit more sensitive mm-hmm. and a little bit more raw emotionally. And it's why there are sometimes fights in a parking lot outside of a sporting event, you know? And I think that you just have to be careful. Um, this question is from Morgan. What's the best way for other team members to handle a negative teammate? Hmm. Well, Travis, I think you're probably more equipped to handle this since you've been on team sports. Swimming is a is a highly individual event. What do you think? You know, I, my advice is to not try to deal with it in the moment. Um, because if they're the type of person who gets all riled up and like full of adrenaline and anger during a game, that 
them then feeling like their team is also turning against them might just push them into more. I think it's something that if you know that about the person, to jump back, unless it's like extreme circumstances and you, you should then like remove them from the event or say something like, hey, you have to cut it out or you have to leave. But if they're just a person that you know always gets heated, always gets angry, all before the event even starts, I think that's the time to be like, hey, listen, we want to talk to you. We know you have a tendency to get really riled up, and that really just takes all the fun out of it. And I know that it's really important to you to win, but your behavior feels like we're losing, and we're all just in it to have fun, and we really want that to be the focus of the game. And I think that this might actually be a little more well-perceived if it came from like a team captain or from a person in like a, a manager situation than if it's just everybody on the team ganging up intervention style. Yes. And and then I would say that if that kind of, you know, if that kind of talking to from the coach or manager doesn't work, if it continues to be an issue, remove them from the team. Like, I, I, I don't care how good a friend of yours they are. I don't care how good they are or how important they are to the team. Think about it this way. If if there's 10 people on your team and one of your pl- players behaves horribly, your team is perceived as a horrible team. You will get lumped in as the team that like is, you know, negative and yell stuff and mm-hmm. behaves badly towards each other. They don't give you the benefit of the doubt. They just remember like it, I think it it negatively affects the perception of the entire team. And you know what? If nine of the 10 of you aren't having fun and one of you is super negative, remove one of them and suddenly nine people are having a good time. The The math works out. Don't keep playing with somebody who ruins the game for you. So I'd like to close with some uh, examples of good sportsmanship, especially in the Olympic Games we were talking about earlier. Um, in the 1936 Summer Olympics, which took place in Berlin, uh, there was a long jumper named Lutz Long. and Wait, hold on. He was a long jumper and his last name was Long? Yes. Okay. Just... <laughs> How apropos. Just... Okay, go on. Uh, and he set an Olympic record during the preliminary round uh, when he qualified. Um, and Jesse Owens, who you, you... That may park your ears. I've heard of him, yeah. You've heard of him. Um, he was competing in the same event... And um, after his first two attempts, he faced disqualification if he fouled a third time. And Long, who was a German, advised him how to change his approach so that he wouldn't get disqualified. Um, And this is a very special circumstance. I know we talked about how you wouldn't do that, but he was trying to prevent him from getting disqualified. Um, Once Owens heeded Long's advice, he qualified. And he even set a world record to win the gold medal. So this is someone... And then he gave that gold medal (laughs) to Long. No. Okay. Um, And later on, Owens is quoted as saying, You can melt down all the medals and cups I have, and they wouldn't be a plating on the 24-karat friendship that I felt for Let's Long at that moment. Oh, that's really nice. So he, that just made me a little bit choked up. Yeah. Um, so they became lifelong friends, and even though Long was killed in World War II, his family remained in contact with Owen's family ever since. 
That's very nice. So that's a very special circumstance, I think. Um, I know that we, like I said, we talked about how you probably shouldn't offer advice to the I other I think team. that if you're all competing at the Olympic level, then you're all considered experts on it, and then maybe then it's okay. I think if you're doing a weekend softball league, then maybe, like, they're not as open to advice. But, like, if Usain Bolt comes over to me to tell me how to run better, I'm going to listen to him. Okay, yeah, I, I think I would listen to him, too. Yes. Um, so, although not the Olympics, this is at the 1956 Australian National Championships. Um, John Landy made history as he became the second man to break the four-minute mile, um, which he did 46 days after Roger Bannister was the first. Um So during the third lap of the said championships I talked about, um, a 19-year-old named Ron Clark, who would go on to set several records during his career, he tripped and fell. And Landy, who was actually very close behind him, leapt over Clark and accidentally scraped his arm on the spikes of his shoes in the process because he was like laying on the ground. Um, And at that point, Landy actually stopped to make sure that Clark wasn't too hurt before resuming his race. Um, and he, he did actually, you know, scraped his arm and stuff. But even though he stopped, Landy came from behind to finish first with a time of four minutes and four seconds. And then he gave his medal to the young person. No, 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 no okay. he didn't. But he did make a good impression on him, obviously. Well, yeah, um, he scraped him with his shoe. <laughs> And 50 years after the fact, uh, Landy is quoted with saying uh, he reacted on the spur of the moment. And he said, you do things with like an embedded impulse. You don't ask why. And still today, there's a bronze statue in Melbourne that commemorates Landy's good deed. And the title of the statue is simply Sportsmanship. Well, there you go. I actually have one that I just saw the other day. I saw a video of about sportsmanship. Um, Leighton Hewitt and Jack Sock were competing in a tennis match in Australia uh, in January of 2016 and uh, in the Hopman Cup. And during the match, Hewitt was called for a fault. Um, and when he was preparing his second serve, uh, Sock called out to him and said, you should challenge that. And Hewitt kind of looked at him and he goes, yeah, th- it was... It was in. That wasn't a fault. You should challenge that. And so Hewitt kind of goes, uh, yeah, I, I, I challenge it. And he was right. It was on the line. And he ended up, like, winning the challenge. And, like, Sock could have just let it go. And, like, could have had the faults. And instead, he, he was honest. And he was a good sport. That's wonderful. Yeah. And you can see the video of it. It's, it's actually really, really funny to watch Hewitt react to to sock saying yeah you should challenge he's like what uh are you kidding uh well for okay yeah i do it's really really great uh so very recently at these olympics here in rio um there was the second semifinal heat of the women's 5000 meter race um 24 year old track and field star abby d'agostino displayed an incredible act of sportsmanship when One of the other people on the racetrack, Nikki Hamblin from New Zealand, fell. um, And 
D'Agostino could not avoid her. She was right behind her. Yeah, if you've seen the clip, it's it's oh, it's tough to watch because it's basically like they're an inch away from each other when she goes down. Right. So when Nikki Hamblin fell and D'Agostino tripped over her, uh, they were both obviously injured. Um, but rather than try and run the race and leave uh, Hamblin, D'Agostino actually stopped to check her to see if they could both continue together and even helped her up. Uh, even Although they were both injured, they uh, assisted each other across the finish line, and they, I believe they both finished. And isn't that a much better story? It is, folks. Sportsmanship. It's much more satisfying than being a jerk. You heard it here first. So I think that's going to do it for us. Thank you for joining us again this week. And you know what? Be excellent to each other. You know what I mean? (laughs) It's much more fun to have fun than it is to win. I'd much rather have a good game than win. Oh, absolutely. I absolutely agree. Um, We want to say thank you to everybody for listening to the show and telling your friends, spreading the word around. Sorry, this one was a little bit late. It wasn't up first thing this morning. Our lives are a little chaotic right now as we make some serious cross-country move plans. Oh, woof, you guys. These are up. So it's quite possible we may not have an episode up next week. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and say that we will not have an episode up next week. Um, Next week is when we will be packing everything up and traveling across the country. But we will be back the week after that. Um, You know, uh it's a great time to go back and listen to some old episodes. If you have any ideas for subjects or future episodes, let us know. You can tweet at us at SchmannersCast, S-H-M-A-N-N-E-R-S-C-A-S-T. You can email us, SchmannersCast at gmail.com. You can go on the Facebook group, uh, Schmanners with Travis and Teresa. Um, and-, and thanks, everyone, for for that Facebook group. They've got some really nice threads going and please do post. Um, I approve every post, so I do see what you what you write. It's nice. You guys are nice. Thank you. Um, and go check out all the other amazing MaximumFun.org shows. There's a ton on there that you're going to like. Uh, Magic Lessons with Elizabeth Gilbert, Sawbones, um, Tights and Fights, Adam Ruins Everything, Oh No, Ross and Carrie, Baby Geniuses. There's a lot on there, and at least one you're going to love, but I'm betting it's going to be a lot more than that. And uh, yeah, just thank you for everyone who's gone on iTunes, rated and reviewed and subscribed. I know we mention that every week, but like we really do appreciate it. And I love reading those nice reviews. It's 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 a lot of work to put a show out every week and do all the research. Teresa works very, very hard to put all the research together and put together a really great show for you guys. So whenever we see those reviews and someone saying how much they like the show, we really, really appreciate it. And as always, thank you to Brent, Brentle Floss Black, for our uh, theme song. And that is available as a ringtone on iTunes. And thank you to Kayla M. Wassel for all of our banner and thumbnail art. Check out her portfolio. And thank you, of course, to Emily Post. Emily, we couldn't have done it without you, wherever you are. And I think that's going to do it for us. Join us again next week. No RSVP required. You've been listening to Schmanners. Manners, Schmanners. Get it? MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.